0: Understanding that weird book of Revelation, and the title tonight is Looking to Jesus and Listening to the Spirit, and I want you to see why both of those are integral to the text we're going to be looking, though we won't read an extended text right at the beginning of the study, we will be taking clumps of it as we work our way through Looking to Jesus and listening to the Spirit, the keys to becoming an overcoming church, this will be Revelation chapter 2 and 3. And if you recall, last week, as we were working our way through that first chapter, uh, you get that closing picture of Jesus walking among the seven lampstands. It's a vision. John sees this vision. And the text tells us that these seven lampstands are seven local churches. That's in chapter 1, verse 20. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand... ...and the seven golden lampstands... ...the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches... ...and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And just right there... ...I'd like to make what I think of as a key point in the study of Revelation... The the uh, common thing when you think about Jesus and the church is to think about how Jesus loves his church, capital C, meaning the body of Christ, which he does. Redeemed, redeemed it with his own blood. The church everywhere, the church universal. What I want to say is that's not what's being studied in this opening part of the book of Revelation. And we need to know that because it's important for Cedarview Community Church. John's vision is not about Christ's love for the capital C Church Universal. It's about his love for Specific congregations. There are seven of them. You could find them on the map. They were actual churches in actual places with actual people in clusters or congregations just like this. He doesn't just see one big blob church. People that don't go to church very regularly are always great theologians when it comes to saying, you know, I just, I belong to... The church universal. This isn't about the church universal. This is about churches like Cedarview. We know this because he doesn't just give one big assessment, as you'll see, about the church and the condition of the church. We should be grateful that the one John sees in visionary form walking among those seven lampstands, those seven churches, he he actually diagnoses each congregation differently and specifically. So we know he's not just talking about one big church with all of them in it. Two receive no criticism at all. Five have different problems that they have to address. There's a pattern that you're going to see unfolding in chapter 2 and 3. Each letter is addressed to the angel of the church. Um, That word angel, angelos, which actually means messenger. Depending on which commentary you choose to read on Revelation, I have my own view on it. But it can be taken to refer to an angelic being over each church or uh, a messenger, a leader, a spokesperson for a church. The important point is... Each congregation seems to be represented by someone who who speaks. The second thing you'll notice is each letter discloses something specific about the person of Jesus Christ taken from the revelation that we saw in chapter 1. Revelation is the book of the revelation of Jesus. We studied that last week. What happens now is... John sees in his vision these seven churches, the Lord walking among these seven churches, and there's something specific about Jesus that each of those churches needs to remember. Something about Jesus from what we saw of him in the first chapter. Each congregation seems to be, well, except for two that get pretty good praise, but each congregation seems to be missing, neglecting, ...not emphasizing something true about Jesus... ...that would help them and apply to their specific situation. You'll see that in chapter 2, verse 1... ...chapter 2, verse 8... ...chapter 2, verse 12... ...chapter 2, verse 18... ...chapter 3, verse 1... ...chapter 3, verse 7... ...chapter 3, verse 14. You'll see it repeated again and again. The Lord just says something about himself... ...that that church needs to remember... So, this specific selected revelation of Jesus given to each church is designed to show two things. First, each of these selected revelations is tailored to show each specific church uh, the importance of listening to what Jesus is about to reveal. Secondly, each church, and our church as well, each church is reminded that whatever fault is about to be exposed or whatever encouragement is offered, the abiding need of each local congregation is the same. It's it's always Jesus himself in some particular manifestation, some particular truth about his person, let me just give you some examples from our text. So, so, the church at Ephesus. Church at Ephesus, chapter 2, verse 1, is called to return to her first love. And so the revelation of Jesus is one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. So, so the, the revelation John gets is a, a, a savior... Jesus, who is very, very close to each church. Here's the interest Jesus has. Jesus would know the specific point of need of Cedarview Community Church, New Market, as opposed to the specific spiritual need of Grace Church, two blocks away. See, it's, my point is, it's that individual. His, his attention to this congregation. And that congregation. And another congregation. Like, how, how close does Christ have to be to the church at Ephesus to notice that with, with the singing, exactly the same as it always has been, And the numbers the same as they always have been. And everything apparently moving along quite well. How close does Christ have to be to that church at Ephesus to say, you know what, I think the love that you had for me in January 2017 is greater than the love you have for me in October of 2017. And you get some feel for the attention that our Lord is giving to these congregations. The church at Smyrna is praised for faithfulness and is encouraged to remain true, even unto death. And so Jesus reveals himself to that church, chapter 2, verse 8, as the first and the last who, who died ...and who came to life. Don't miss that. This is a church. This is a church that is is facing persecution. Different from the church at Ephesus. And it's going rough for them. And there's a price to be paid for following. And so the the revelation of Jesus... ...that this church needs not to lose sight of... is, is, ...is the one who himself was persecuted... ...executed, died, came to life... ...that that whatever Smyrna is going to be facing... ...the Lord of that church... ...is one who is triumphant. Pergamum. Pergamum is going to be rebuked... ...for tolerating false doctrine... ...and false teaching. And significantly, here's how... ...Jesus reveals himself to this church one who has a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth 2:12 so so the sword that can cut out what's false lay open lay bare reveal what's on the inside cut through anything deceptive we actually need that picture of Christ today in the church we're, we're, we're to never confuse, this is gentle Jesus, meek and mild, who comes to this church with this sharp, two-edged sword, and his love for the church makes him less tolerant of false teaching, not more tolerant of false teaching. So, so this idea that Jesus loves our church, so he'll just accept whatever system of doctrine that sounds the most tolerant, because that's what a loving Jesus does, It. Jesus comes and reveals just the opposite to this church. He, he chides this church for her, her laziness... Her, ...her indifference to lies and falsehood. The church at Thyatira is going to be exposed... ...for tolerating sexual immorality. And so you see in chapter 2, verse 18... No mistaking the message of judgment to this church, 2.18, and to the angel of the church at Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. His eyes like a flame of fire, this this red, hot, passionate intolerance. He's against uh, impurity and and. The way our Lord looks at sexual sin never cools. There is nothing in our Lord... We need that revelation of Jesus. To the church. This is to the church. To a congregation. We need the revelation of a Jesus... ...who never gets used to the lowering... ...sexual standards of the culture... Because we, we, we tend, we don't want to, we tend to do that. If, if you're here and, and you're, you know, under 30, I'm not criticizing you. I'm just stating it as a fact that if you, you're probably quite comfortable watching something on a sitcom that your grandparents, if they were Christian grandparents, would never have watched on television. And, and the only thing is you just got used to it. That's it. I'm not saying you're in favor of it. You might be just as against it as they are. I don't mean that. I just mean there's nothing in you that goes, ugh. And so, and so here's this church at Thyatira. It's going to be exposed for tolerating sexual immorality. And Jesus reveals himself with these eyes like flames of fire. We need that, we need that picture of purifying judgment. Church at Sardis is the next one. And it's called to take stock of spiritual life that that will diminish, if not freshly re-embraced. They aren't spiritually dead. They haven't totally left their first love, but they're coming close to carelessness. That's the church at Sardis. And Jesus this is the strange one. Jesus has this strange introduction, chapter 3 verse 2. He who has he who has the seven spirits of God. The seven stars. We know the stars are the messengers to the churches, candles, the lampstands. Those are the seven churches. What is this stuff about seven spirits and what does it have to do with Sardis? you are looking at the only book in the whole Bible that gives any reference to seven spirits. It's not in any other book. And the striking thing is it doesn't happen just once. You can read about the seven spirits in chapter 1, verse 4, chapter 4, verse 5, chapter 5, verse 6, and a lot of commentaries aren't much help because no one knows for sure what John is seeing in this vision. Let me give you my guess, all right? I think it's really important to remember that John is describing for us not necessarily literal objects as they are, but the appearance of things as he sees them in his vision. In other words, when you get to heaven and see Jesus, he probably won't have a metal sword sticking out of his mouth. Do you get what I'm saying? When John talked about the Lamb of God, he didn't mean Jesus was covered with wool and went, bah. And when when you get this picture in John's vision, particularly as it relates to the church at Sardis, talking about these seven spirits, I think the reference is to... This seven spirits coming from Jesus doesn't refer to seven different spirits. John is simply describing what his vision looks like. What it has the appearance of. And I think these spirits are a reference to the Holy Spirit. Singular. I think John sees seven spirits because he sees the working of the Holy Spirit in a vision form, in in relation to seven specific churches. In other words, I think what John is seeing in visionary form, not literal form, is that all of God's spirit is involved in each of those churches. And in this church. So that it isn't as though, wouldn't it be a terrible thing? We've got, even in our own fellowship, we've got 1,100 churches in Canada. But take all the churches in Canada. How pathetic it would be if, if God, like seasoning, he only had so much of his spirit. And so he starts, he starts in uh, the Maritimes, and he works his way across, and then by the time he gets to Vancouver, it's like, oh, man, like, I'm, there's not much. But... So I think the reason he sees this is to show that All of God's spirit is present in every church. He's not divided up. The fullness of the spirit for each individual specific congregation. That's the picture. Now the point of all this for that church at Sardis is is this. She's being called to renew and refresh spiritual commitment at a time when many are careless. Verse 4 says, soiled. How is that going to be possible for that church at Sardis? Do you ever ask that question, how in the world, God, how in the world do you expect me to be holy? We hear it all the time. Our young people are under so much peer pressure. I'm the only Christian at my job. There's so much temptation all around me. Look at the internet. I'm too busy. I don't have time for God. On and on and on it goes. And here's the lesson from the church at Sardis. Jesus not only calls his church to holiness and devotion, he enables her far beyond her own strength and resources to walk in holiness even when the odds seem to be stacked against that impossibility. God's spirit, all of God's almighty spirit when we gather at 1000 Gorham Street to make possible things we could never do on our own. I hope you remember that at prayer group time tonight. Next comes our Lord's words to the church at Philadelphia. This is the only other church that receives no real word of rebuke. Twice this church is reminded... I like this. Reminded of an open door. 3-7. An open door of opportunity placed before them. But of course with every opportunity there's challenges. Fresh challenges. Fresh difficulties. Sometimes fresh persecution. And so here's this church at Philadelphia... Not the one in Pennsylvania, by the way. Reminded, reminded that things don't just happen. And so Jesus reminds this church that he is the one who is 3-7. The holy one, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. How we as a church respond to ...to circumstances, especially challenging circumstances... ...has a lot to do with who we think is in control of circumstances. That's the reminder here. This local church, just like our church... ...it needed to be reminded that, that uh, sometimes difficult times... ...don't mean a loss of divine presence. So he's, he's, he, what he opens... What he opens, if we follow, nobody's going to shut it. Twice he reminds us that no one will be able to slam the door shut in our Lord's face. I like that. Lastly, the local church at Laodicea. There's a different tone here. Laodicea had fallen under the delusion of of pride, self-sufficiency. She was no longer keenly aware of her need of Jesus, and that's why Jesus introduces his remarks to this church with these words. 314. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness... The beginning of God's creation. So to this church, uh, so full of outward success, pride in its outward success, our Lord comes uh, gently but firmly and says, I am the source of all creation. I made you. There is nothing in your life that you brought about on your own. And you've forgotten that. we would be better stewards individually and corporately of everything god gives us if we would remember that we brought nothing about on our own so so each of these cases each of these letters written to each church it comes with a fresh reminder a revelation of jesus christ from revelation chapter 1 and, and, and churches like ours, it, it, it's happened in dozens and dozens and dozens of churches and denominations that get all off base simply because they forget basic things about Jesus Christ. They forget basic things about Jesus Christ. Point number three. Five times out of seven... These letters to these specific churches, they contain the reminder that Jesus knows our works. I guess it shouldn't surprise us. Five times out of seven, that's how he starts. Speaking to specific congregations. We should expect it of one who has eyes like a flame of fire, 114. How often... I can carry big uh, blocks of my life around chunks of my life, my heart, my ambitions, my desires. The The way I prioritize my life when I'm alone and on my own. How many of those big chunks of my life I carry around like God doesn't know what's in them and what's going on? Look at the church's address right in these two chapters. Who but the Lord could see through all the outward bustle and activity of churches and see that behind it all, the people were losing their love for Jesus. I know your works. He says it five times to seven churches. And it's our Lord's reminder to his church. We we mustn't waste precious time ...pretending to be something before God... ...that we really aren't. It, it, it's, it's not to lay the groundwork for depression... ...it's to lay the groundwork for thoroughness... ...when we deal with the Lord. That, that he's after the core of our beings. I've got to keep going. Four. Each letter uniformly says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Seven times out of seven. To seven different congregations. Every time those words are spoken, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Every time those words are spoken, Jesus is the speaker. They're not recorded anywhere in the Bible where Jesus isn't the one saying them. So the idea there is it's not enough to know what the Spirit says to Cedarview Community Church. The the thrust of it is we we must hear, heed is better, pay attention, respond immediately to what the Spirit is saying to the church. I hope hope we remember that a big chunk of worship in all of our times of worship, and it's more than just singing. There's more to worship than celebrating the presence of the Lord in his church. There are so many songs just about his presence among us, and and that's good. This text isn't about his presence. It's about listening to him when he speaks in his presence. In other words, the the growth, that the, Lord wants to, the growth that the Lord wants to work in Cedarview Community Church doesn't come about merely because we sing, praise, worship. It ought to be passionate. It ought to be expressive. God didn't just create your mind. He created your emotions. They are as pleasing to him as your mind. Our bodies, worship should be an engaging experience. I get that, and I agree with that. I teach that. Worship is not just thinking nice thoughts about God. That's meditation. Praise is not the same as meditation. Praise is an issue of breath. Let everything that hath... Praise the Lord, yeah. Not just let everything that hath thoughts. But having said all of that, The reason we invite the Lord's presence is not just so we can feel His presence. The reason we invite the Lord's presence is so we can hear what the Spirit says to the church. The Lord's presence is not a beautiful thing if I'm living in immorality, pleading and begging for Jesus to come and fill this place with His presence if I'm not listening to him, his presence ought to make me run out to the parking lot and get in my car. Do you get what I'm saying? So so there's, there's something of... Here's Jesus walking among these seven congregations, specific local congregations. His spirit, seven spirits, his spirit in each congregation. And then this closing reminder, with each application, each warning, very specifically tailored to every congregation. Churches like ours... And the close of it all is, he who has ears. Let him him hear what the Spirit says to the church or the churches. This is God's desire. Jesus cautions the church against losing the expectancy of instantly following God's will as it's revealed as we study his word as his presence is manifest and he works in our hearts. What has God been talking to your soul about? Nothing at all, Pastor Don. Oh, that's a tragedy. That's a tragedy. Five, we're almost done. In each letter, those who hear, respond, and overcome... Our promised great reward. Let me just go fast. Do you have these references in your notes? There's about one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of them. Yeah, yeah, those ones. Okay. There's a mural when you put these all together to the different churches. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. 2.11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death, eternal life. 2.17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone. We'll look at this. And a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the ones who receive it. 26-29. The one who conquers and who keeps my works unto the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Five and six of three. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life, I will confess his name before my Father, before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, you see the same thing, the whole thing. The important thing there is this. The overcoming isn't related to to churches filled with super beings. The important point of all those references is the way overcoming is linked to Paying attention to the way Jesus reveals himself to the church. Growing an understanding of the spirit's ways among his people. Being weaned off of ambitions and fascinations that are all earthly... ...and being drawn to the fact that we are a community going somewhere... ...when Jesus comes again, that's what the book is all about... And aiming and focusing our lives in that direction now, tuning to the way the Holy Spirit wants to sharpen and deepen our devotion to Him, our passion for Him, our zeal for Him, and our love for Him. Each letter opens. Here's what I've been trying to say tonight Seven churches. Specific instructions geared into the life of each church. Each church receives... ...a reminder of a neglected truth about Jesus Christ. That's how it all starts. And then at the end, each church receives... ...a summons to listen to the Holy Spirit. Each church... ...something you need to remember about Jesus. Each church... When you sense God speaking, pay your deepest attention. And and somehow, those two things are what make for overcoming congregations. Do you ever, I do once in a while, picture Jesus. If you could see a vision, if you could see a vision like John saw. And you could see Jesus just from what you know of a lot of churches. If this is how we felt about these congregations in the first century, imagine Jesus walking into prominent churches today. Imagine Jesus walking into a church where a whole denomination, a whole denomination, the United Church, deleting any hymns that mention the blood of Jesus. Imagine what we've seen about the revelation here about Jesus walking into churches and, and witnessing weddings among gay couples. Imagine Jesus walking into churches and, and hearing them say that the Bible is a collection of myths. What would... Do you you get a picture of him walking into specific congregations, just standing there, observing and 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 wondering what? What happened here? What happened here? I like to think. It's probably arrogant, but I like to think that at the very least, if our Lord physically walked into our church. A, I would hope somebody else was preaching. But B, I hope for all the imperfections that he would surely see, I hope he would sense a group of people who want more than anything else to please Jesus and to keep in step with him. If you like that idea, say amen. Thanks, Lord. Thanks for your word. It's almost too much for us to absorb. We don't think of Jesus walking around local congregations anymore. And the things that you saw in these seven congregations are divinely recorded because they're they're typical of what you would see in many churches. And so first we, we want to come and, and we repent of our weakness, our, the ease with which we are distracted from kingdom realities, the way so much of our lives gets geared into visible, temporal, and temporary pursuits. We all have much to do, I mean the way we get distracted by those things. And we want you to know, Lord, through all of our fallenness and in all of our weakness, everyone in this room, we we would want to say to you that in this place... You are loved and adored in this place. You are worshiped in this place. We want you exalted in this place. And we want to listen to you in this place. And for every area where that is poorly done, we ask for your mercy and your grace and for every open-door opportunity of growth and mission and kingdom-building that you place before us, we, we stretch our hearts to be all we can be for Jesus Christ, forgetting those things behind and pressing toward that goal. Let that happen more and more in our hearts, Lord. your name I pray Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.